Academy podcast, episode 012, A Conversation with Don Michelle Hardy. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. And it is freezing in New York. <laughs> Welcome, Don. Hi, ladies. How are you? Great. We're great. Thanks so We're much so for So psyched to have you. So, Don, tell us about yourself. Okay. So, um, I've been in publishing since 2002. I live in Brooklyn. Um, but my background from a professional standpoint is actually in fashion. I did visual merchandising before I took a part-time job, basically serving as an office assistant to a self-published author. And I did that for two years. And that was basically my introduction into publishing because I did everything except actually write the book. So PR, cover design, work with distributors, uh, marketing. And you know, from there, I started a, a PR agency in 2004. And I've basically been working with self-published and debut authors since then. And then maybe six years ago, I added to my resume to become a literary agent with Serendipity Literary Agency. That's so cool. I love how you have a background in so many things that authors need to know about, but often don't. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the the PR part, again, I think in working with the self-published author, you know, self-published authors have to do everything themselves. Uh, The author was Terry Woods, and she uh, published in the genre of urban fiction, and her book did really well. So she was making a lot of money. She actually became a millionaire from it. Nice. Um, But because you know, my college background with her just entrepreneurial street savvy to put the book out there. We had a great product that sold and it basically was an accelerated program on just learning how to self-publish a book. And it it was a good book. You know, it's, it's still considered a classic to this day. So it allowed me to get my hands in a little bit of everything and then decide, okay, out of everything that I've done to put the book together, I really like the PR aspect. And then that's when I decided to, to become publicist. Yeah. yeah. That's so important, too, because sometimes you see books that are so wonderful and it's like, everyone, come look at this book. And then you wonder how to get all of the people who would love this book in front of this book. So they love the book, too. And then they start telling their friends. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how that process works? So basically, um, you know, whether you're if you're with a major publishing company, they're going to put out galleys between five and six months before your actual pub date. And a lot of times I always explain to self-published authors, if you, no matter how good your book is, that's what you're competing with. So if you show up 30 days before your book comes out and you want to be in a national publication, it's just not even feasible because the publication is already closed. Um, so a lot of times what I'm telling authors to do now is focus on whatever the publication is, focus on getting on their online site because that's content. They're, they're updating on an hourly basis, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So there's numerous opportunities. You're not, everybody's not going to get like a page in Vanity Fair, but you can possibly get something, you know, on a blackenterprise.com, a blavity.com, a buzzfeed.com. And again, those things can go viral. Everybody's not going to necessarily pick up uh, the December issue of a said magazine. And if you don't, then no one ever knew that your book came out. But if it's online, you could always be found in a Google search or something to that nature. So most of the publicity I do is uh, for self-published authors is from a digital standpoint. Yeah. And especially since they're on social media. So everything is on social media. You get the interview. You share it on social media. No one has to come out of their pajamas and, and everybody's happy. Yeah. So it's basically I say pu- like publishing and publicity in your pajamas. Basically, everything is done online. Oh, that sounds great. Publishing yeah. and publicity in your pajamas. In your pajamas. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the title yeah. of this. this yeah. is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I like, love you, it. You try to come up with cost effective ways because you know people just don't have those those big budgets, and there's not a whole bunch of stores that will take on self published um, self published authors. And then even if you're a debut, if your publisher doesn't think that you're a big deal and they want to invest in sending you on a tour. 
honestly, everything that you, you can do to promote your book, you can do from home. That must take up a huge amount of time. What do you do in the amounts of spare time that you do have left? I run. I, I do distance running. It's a stress reliever. Once I became a literary agent in 2011, maybe a few months after that, I started running because being a publicist, you're pitching the media, which is, you know, you're always asking. And being a literary agent, you're pitching publishers and editors, and you're always asking. And it can get a little stressful because in the midst of asking, you're always getting your fair share of rejections. So for me, I was like, okay, you know what? I need something to relieve my stress where I don't have to ask anybody's permission. I didn't want to do tennis, no team sports because that involved other people. What can I do on my own to relieve my stress? And it's like running. My legs work, put on my sneakers. I don't have to ask anyone's permission and I can just go. And that honestly balances out my professional life where I'm always asking others for something. The running is so independent and it actually like, I think of a lot of good ideas when I'm running that I probably would not have thought of if I was sitting at a table in a meeting. They literally come during the run, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I bet she has these aha moments all the time on those runs. Yes, yes. And I'm like, oh man, all right, let me stop. And then I'll put a little (laughs) note. I'll put a little note in my cell phone and then say, okay, when I get back to the office, I'll work on that, yeah. But it, it, it clears your mind. It clears your mind, you know, because the, the industry is very tough, is constantly changing. You never really know what to expect. So you just kind of, for me, I need control over something. Like, I didn't realize how much of a control freak I was until I became an agent and felt like I had no control. <laughs> so I feel that. Well, Dawn, I see on your Twitter handle that you're not just a runner, you're a marathoner. And I yeah. think that shows <laughs> just, you know, the commitment that it, that you probably put into both sides of of who you are, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is a lot of commitment. Um, I ran the New York City Marathon in 2014 and I trained for six months. Wow. Yeah, I trained for six months. It took me about six hours. Um, I had to stop numerous times, but I'm determined to do it again. Maybe maybe this year I have to make a decision by, um, by May if I'm gonna do it again. But it was one of the best experiences of my life. It was challenging, but to know that only 1% of the people in the country of marathoners and to know that I'm in that 1%, I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah. Now if I can just- 1% of something. Right. Now if I could just get my money in the 1%, <laughs> then, you know, we really have something exciting. What would you do if you had the money in the 1%? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I want to do a lot with schools, a lot, a lot with education, e- education, and then cancer research, any and every form of cancer. Yeah. So if I had Warren Buffett money, I would definitely spend a lot of it on cancer research and education. In an alternative universe with no publishing, what would you do? Okay, so if book publishing wasn't even a thing, basically, is what you're asking, um, then I then I guess, honestly, I probably would have still been on the same track that my college education, and that was uh, doing fashion buying and merchandising. So I would either be you know, overseeing visuals for department stores or for, de- for designers, or doing something as far as like uh, fashion PR, fashion styling, yeah. Because I like that. I mean, I think like me getting the job working with an author was simply because I made a comment that I was working for a retailer and in order to change the store's displays over, you had to do that overnight. And I was basically saying, you know, I need kind of needed a break from doing the overnighters and I just wanted like to work nine to five in office for a while. And then a colleague said, oh, you know, there's an author looking for an assistant. And then literally that was 15 years ago. Oh, that's amazing. yeah, and, and here I am. So it, I don't have one of those, oh, my favorite book when I was younger and I used to smell the pages and hide in the library. That's not my background. I actually like used to make my own little sketches of Erica Kane. I don't know if you guys are familiar with soap operas, All My Children. 
I used to design dresses. I used to design dresses that Erica Kane would wear. Oh. So my growing up, I always wanted to work in fashion and design clothes for celebrities. But I didn't know how to sew by the time I went to college. And that was a requirement in order to get into uh, the design department. So I said, well, what else can I do? And they said, you know, buying and styling and merchandising. And I said, okay, I don't have to make any clothes. It's just about putting little looks together. And I enjoyed that. So, you know, getting into publishing, just honestly, it just fell in my lap. Because I've never even thought about it as like anything that I would even think about doing. But now I love it a lot. So what's your aha moment in publishing? The aha moment for me is, and again, like, you know, if you go to a bookstore or a library, you see books on every subject under the sun. But now actually working in publishing and seeing how these books come to be, even meeting authors um, when they're at the very beginning and they just kind of have an idea in their head. I like the fact that in publishing, you can work with someone who's a stay-at-home mom, someone who's an ex-con, someone who works at NASA, celebrities, athletes. So you can work with a little bit of anybody on the planet on every subject under the sun. And so every day is something different. And I like that because I am a person that can easily get bored. So it's something new every single day. And that I really enjoy. And then it's a legacy that you leave behind. Any book that I've helped publish will far outlive me. And, and, and it's good to know that I contributed to something. Yeah. Is there anything you've changed your mind about during your time in the industry? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, what have I changed my mind about since, well, since becoming an agent? So six years ago, um, I sat down with Regina Brooks as Serendipity Literary Agency. And, you know, I talked to her about being a publicist and that pitching process and how I wanted to see if those skills transferred over into becoming an agent. And at that time, my honeymoon glory ideas was basically that I would work with a lot of celebrities. I was like, oh, I want to do all the celebrity books. I want to work with celebrities, celebrities, celebrities. Now I don't want to work with celebrities. <laughs> I work. Like I see how hard it is. And I know they, they have so many people on their team and none of those people are well versed in, in the book publishing industry. So it's an insane amount of opinions that aren't necessarily going to move the needle. And it only just makes the job that much more challenging. So my dream of wanting to have this big celebrity roster, I realized that to work with a journalist from the Washington Post can be a much smoother transition than working with someone who's on the red carpet right now. So tell us about the first time you saw one of your books for sale. Where were um, you? What was it like? Uh, um, I'll talk about my, my favorite book, which came out in 2015. It's um, a book called Not a Game, uh, The Incredible Rise and Unthinkable Fall of Allen Iverson. And he's an uh, NBA all-star. Mm -hmm. And I personally am a huge fan of basketball as well as a huge fan of Allen Iverson's. So in 2012, an article went viral that was written by a Washington Post sports journalist. And a friend shared it on Facebook. So again, I like how social media has, has some good in it. Mm -hmm. So the article was shared. I read it. And then I reached out to the journalist who wrote it and said, did he ever think about writing a book? And at the time, he didn't. But most people that work for the Washington Post eventually do do a book. So he knew he would, but he didn't have an idea of his own um, and, until I contacted him about doing a biography on Allen Iverson. So, you know, his proposal, it was an exclusive submission. I went to Todd Hunter at Atria. And um, when the book came out, I was so excited because I knew that it started as a conversation with me and Todd in his office saying, okay, you like sports, I like sports. Let's think of three people that we want books on or that we can work with those athletes. And Alan Iverson was on the list. And then three weeks later, 
I saw that article on Facebook and then reached out and the journalist said, yes, he writes in extremely well and it was an exclusive submission. So that whole process was so perfect. And then to see the book and see all the media coverage that it got, like to know that it just started from a conversation sitting down and it worked out, you know, and the book was shortlisted for a pen award. Awesome. Yeah. So and it was the author's debut. So to me, that process was so perfect. And I know that that's not how a lot of deals get done, but it happened so perfectly that it basically breathed new life into me and it basically reset me. So any rejections that I had had for other projects before, this project did so well that it basically gave me a fresh slate um, as an agent where I felt like that was my first deal. Mm. Because it went so well, I was like, yes, all right, let me see if I can get another one just like that. You know, so the energy came back into me because, you know, prior to that, it was a lot of rejections before I sold my first couple of books. But this has been the biggest book on my list to date. Congratulations. It sounds fabulous. It really, it really is a good yeah. book. Um, and I like the fact that reviewers complimented the author's writing. So when you, when you write something on someone who's a celebrity or politician, people, most of the comments they're going to make is about that the subject. Um, but in this case, a lot of it was just on how great Kent's writing was. Um, so it let me know that like, yeah, you know what, from industry awards, industry reviews and sales, and then just the fan base, um, the readership, I'm like, wow, this, this book is a straight A. That's slam really cool. dunk. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it is a slam dunk. <laughs> yes, it is. Sorry. Slam dunk. <laughs> I'm sure. I played basketball. I was like, slam it. Come on, slam it. Yes, yes. It was, def- it was definitely that. It was a good yeah. feel. Sometimes when you see someone doing something amazing in the world, you don't necessarily know that they're going to be able to write about it the same way that they mm-hmm. present this great platform or idea. And that's so yeah. great that it worked out that way. Yeah, it really did. Like, you know, and, and he always, even his, his acknowledgments in the book, he always talks about, you know, my agent tells me all the time that it doesn't happen like this all the time, but I'm extremely grateful that my first book was so seamless. You know, it wasn't months of rejections. It was a conversation. Yeah, you want to do it? Let's sign a contract. Let's do a proposal. I already have an editor who wants to buy. He got more money. He said, Don, I would have did the book for far less than this. So everything just you know, just worked out perfectly. Now, if I can get like a hundred more of those stories, yeah. <laughs> just a hundred more. I have 99 more to go, 99 more to go. Well, and that's, it's amazing too how much happens in this industry because of conversations. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, um, you know, again, just brainstorming. Part of being a, a literary agent is sometimes just taking meetings with editors, not even necessarily because you have something to sell them, but just like, okay, you know, you haven't necessarily been pitched everything, but like you read, you like books. What do you personally want to see? And that's how that conversation with Todd and I was. It was two sports fans who happened to also work in book publishing, talking about books that we would love to see on sports figures that we like. And, and from that, the book came to life. That's great. Yeah, which is really cool. So what do you wish writers knew about things on our side of the desk? I always tell my clients, you know, no one likes being rejected, whether it's for an interview and relationship and and business. And a lot of times I find that authors will get so frustrated at the rejection. Um, You know, they'll read some of the feedback and say, oh, the editor doesn't know what they're talking about or they don't understand my book. And I'm like, okay, that that may be the case. And, And they get so upset about that. And I always tell them before you get the rejection, I get that rejection. And then I have to read that email and figure out 
the best way to share this information with you without you going over the deep end. But first, I got to make sure I myself don't go over the deep end because, again, you know, this is a business where you're getting paid on spec. You don't know how long or how much. But again, if I have that energy and I don't know when I'm going to get paid or how long it's going to take, I try to explain to my authors, I'm in this with you. It's a partnership. So you get rejected, but I get rejected first. And then now I have to I don't want to have to fight you, you know, in the process of discussing the rejection. So I just think a lot of times it would be good for authors to understand that agents are getting the rejections head on. Like you're getting a soft version of that. Like, so, you know, we're all getting rejected. But if I still have the the wind in my sails to keep going, you should as well. Because, again, you're getting rejected, but you're not getting rejected by yourself. We as a team are being rejected by said editor, you know, and, and we'll keep at it. So, yeah, I, I just think that they need to understand that agents get rejections as well and, and that we don't like it either. You know, fun. yeah, yeah. Like like I'm, my relationship is with you, the author. You know, if somebody doesn't like your writing. It's it's saying something about me because I like it and I want to, you know, get it sold. So I, I just think that the rejection part, like they take it so personal and it's more of like it's a team effort. Like we'll we'll stay at it. Like I'm not dropping you. So don't panic. You know, we'll find the right person. Are there, so, yeah. are there times where you're like where you take in information from the rejection that it hits you and and they're absolutely right? Like, how does that work when you just agree with rejection? How yes. does that converse, conversation go? So e- even now I'm, I'm pitching a pitching a project and um the, the author, is he doesn't have a large platform, but he has a lot of passion and did a lot of research and connected with some really people to put this book together. His format isn't necessarily like the best format that publishers want to buy. So I'm trying to explain to him that you might have to change the format in order to get this book sold. So right now he's writing on passion and I'm like, OK, you know, do you want a thousand dollar deal or do you want a hundred thousand dollar deal? If you are writing this book solely on passion and you just don't want to accept any of the feedback, then you'll get the thousand dollar deal. But you have the potential to make a lot of money from this book if you're willing to change the format a little bit. So, you know, right now he's giving me some pushback and his I think his last response was, sorry, sorry to sound so angry, but have a have a good weekend. And I was like, no, it's you know, it's totally fine. I understand that creatives, they take their work so personal, so personally. Um, but I also say, you know, publishing is a business. When you started writing this book, you didn't have an agent. You didn't know if you were going to get an agent. So you're writing a book and you don't even know if it's ever going to come into existence. And you spent nine months working on this. So I, I totally understand. But now when you have an agent, my job is the business side of it, not so much the, the creative side and partnering with you. And I'm like, you know, if you want a book, you have to be willing to change some of your creative ideas to, in order to get something that business-wise makes sense. So I think that creative versus business, a lot of authors, you know, they're still scratching their head trying to figure that out because they want what they want because they're passionate, but they don't understand that their ideas aren't necessarily always good business decisions. That That's always another struggle as well. You want creative I want us to make money. You know, we can get the book published and you might make $10, but I want to make a lot more money than that. So, so I'm like, you know, let's, let's, let's be open-minded. It's just really about authors being open-minded to, to edits. The project I'm working on is nonfiction, but I say the same, even if um, authors are doing works of fiction, just to be open. Because again, you're working with people who are on the other side of the desk. You want them to buy into what you have. So, you know, don't be so firm unless you choose to self-publish, then you can write whatever you want. But if you get an agent and you want that agent to shop it, 
you have to leave at least 30 to 40% of flexibility, you know, and, and, and that, and that I find authors have a challenge with sometimes the ego doesn't really allow for it. Cause they're like, Oh, the book is perfect the way it is. I'm like, no, not yet. <laughs> it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Yeah. Well, that is so hard so, to see your own work objectively. Yeah. Yes. I, I totally get it. And, and that's why for me as an agent, I probably explain more than I should, but it's really because I want my authors to understand the mindset and the mandate of anybody that's going to see this proposal and know that, okay, somebody may have had a really bad two years and the next acquisition, if it doesn't like shoot to the stars, they could lose their job. Like you, So I explain at the end of the year, every December, I'm like, listen, we're going to get a list of editors and imprints that are merging, people getting fired. Sometimes an acquisition could make or break a person's career or have them lose their job. So again, there's so much that goes into it. And a lot of times your book might be great, but if I can only buy one more book for the year, I need it to be super great. And your book is just great. You know, and even authors don't understand that, but I'm like, people's careers ride on the list that they build. Again, it's just, it's, it's a lot of ego and just helping authors understand that the rejection isn't you as an individual. It's just that people are trying to make a, a, the best business decision for your creative work. And I always use the word business because I, I want them to come out of the mindset of starving artists and think executive, just just long enough to have an understanding of what the agenting and the editor roles are. So I always use business, like put on your business cap for 30 seconds. Let's talk about, about this. That's good. I like that. I think that's really important for writers yeah. to remember that they are in a business. Yes. And most don't. <laughs> most don't. Most don't. Not to the contract comes, I guess. You know, it's obviously not an ideal situation, but we also have to have compassion for that editor who just wants to keep getting paid. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that editor's got rent too. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that's what I say. It's, it's a creative business, but it's also like a billion dollar industry. And you don't get to the billion dollar mark by making a whole bunch of decisions based off of passion and emotion. And that's basically what I explained. I'm like, this is a billion dollar industry, like in one of the largest cities in the country. Like you don't get that type of volume if everybody just say, oh, well, this is what my heart feels. So, you know, I really like the editor, the author. He makes me smile. I personally would read this book. If everybody made decisions like that, oh, gosh, like it wouldn't be a billion dollar industry. It would be a, a lot of failures. So, you know, somebody has to be the tough one at the table to make the bigger and smarter decisions. Yeah, and I you know that's interesting because I think that that I've been going to them for ten years now, um, you know, different ones across the country, yeah. and you know, I, I think that message is getting clearer. Those the notes, the projections, I guess. Oh, profit around, and loss. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and and how important that is, and how you need to think about like end caps and where it goes in the bookstore, and if it's a picture book, you know, does yes. it equate to? you know, a holiday or a special day at school. And, uh, and that that was a real eye opener for me and something that um, I take into consideration when I write now. Yeah. When I first, um, the first time at the agency, when I got a chance to actually look at a profit and loss statement, I was blown away because it was like the cost of paper was, was one of the itemized um, details. And I was like, really? I was like, wait, so every book before it, an editor could come back and say, I want to offer a deal. This is done. So the cost of paper for this particular book. So all of that goes into place before you can even come back and, and offer me a deal. Um, and that's something that, you know, as an agent, I didn't know because, again, most of the work that I've been doing has been independent. 
So that was an eye opener for me. But again, it helped me to explain to my authors when, you know, they say, oh, well, I have 2000 Twitter followers. We now know that that is not a lot. Um, But there are some authors that think that that is a lot. So I started sharing information that I was getting from meetings. One to three percent on average of your social media following would actually buy your book. So at that point in time, do the math. One to three percent of your two thousand. You know, that's not even 100 books. I could sell that. You know, I could sell 100 books or 100 copies of anybody's book just because I think I'm a good salesperson. But that's not impressive. So once you give them some of these little business statistics, then it kind of makes them say, wow, really? One to three percent. Yes. So in order for you to sell an impressive amount of books, this is how many social media followers you have to have. So, you know, you give you share that business with authors and then they have their aha moments to say, oh, Okay, yeah, I have a lot more work to do. Because again, it's just if you don't understand how the bigger picture works, then you're always personally offended, thinking it's an attack on your work because you have no idea what goes into the decision making process. But once you so do I try know, to share. Yeah. Yeah, once you do know, you can set that as a goal for yourself. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. you can put your energy in the right direction. Yeah. And then I think it also it re energizes the authors as well because now they're getting new information. They feel smarter and more empowered. And now they have an understanding, okay, this is what I need to work on now. So then it sends them off to go work on something else while I'm still in the process of pitching, which is good. Because that's the type of partnership. I always say, I'm like, listen, we're entering into a partnership. I'm coming to the table with the resources and the contacts. I need you to come with the platform and the project. But it's a partnership. I always use the word partnership in describing how I work with authors. So again, they, don't, they never feel like they're not on equal footing with me. Right. You know, it's a partnership. We, we win or we lose together is a partnership. Say you have a writer with a great idea, but who's starting from scratch. What are the best first steps? I like to start with having, starting from scratch and researching. Like I always send people, you know, to Goodreads or Amazon. And if you have an idea, you want to do research and see if there are other books out there on that idea. Because every time I go to a conference, people pitch. And, you know, they, they're so excited because they think they have something so new. And then I'm able to pull up and show them like 10 other titles that came out within the last three years. And then their balloon is deflated. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know what? You have to research. So whatever your idea is on the nonfiction side, I always say start with knowing the market. Do do a research, do a Google search, go to Amazon, Goodreads, and just see what else is out there on that particular subject. Because what you think is new might have been overdone and it is not something that would necessarily sell. So I always tell authors to like know what, you don't even want to do the work yet. Like just find out what's in the market on that subject or the idea that you have before you even start like writing anything down. Because who wants to who wants to put a proposal together only to find out that like 10 books next year are coming out on the same subject matter and, and your platform is nowhere near the size of any of the books that are already coming out. You, you've pretty much wasted your time at that point. So, yeah, I would say research the market and find out what's already out there on that subject matter. And then you can begin to tweak your proposal and your idea based on that. That's great. You know, and I feel like I feel like the more we talk about nonfiction, you know, mm-hmm. it, it really once again it's the platform, and, yeah. and 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 you need to do your research. It's it's yeah. a it's a different beast. Um, so if you're a superhero, we're going to change subjects now. If you're a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, what would your powers be, and how would you use them? Okay, so if I was a superhero. Um, I definitely would want my face to be beat to the gods. Like I would want to have like amazing eyebrows, beautiful red lip. Yes. 
long lashes. I definitely want to be like Beyonce beautiful. Um, <laughs> and I would want my superpower to be uh, the power of healing. So whether it's thinking about a person that needs that needs healing, whether I'm physically in front of them, but I would want to know like right now on the other side of the country, like there are people starving or dying of disease. And just the knowledge of that, I would just be able to mentally heal them. Like that to me is, is that would be an amazing power to have. Because you that know, would be that yeah, would be an like, amazing power. You know, no, no, no one is sick. No one is no one is yeah. dying prematurely before their time uh, because you know there aren't like cures for certain diseases. It would just be a matter of oh no, I, I can heal. And to be able to do it in, in masses. So if you go like in sub-Saharan Africa, like it wouldn't be just like one individual at a time. I would want to be able to say like okay, everybody in this land who has malaria and you know, I, I don't know what I would have, a scepter or some type of thing, but it would just be a matter of healing. It would, it would just come over them. Yeah, because, um, yeah, that's, I've seen people sick and, like, die slowly. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, healing. Healing would definitely be the power that I would want to have. At first, I thought it would be like, oh, you know, maybe I want to look into the future. And I'm like, no, because then that only makes you crazy. Right. Yeah. I, don't, I don't go to fortune tellers or anything. I just need to let life happen. So I don't want to know the future, but um, healing is definitely something that could benefit anybody. You know, books are healing. Yes. yes. So that's kind of interesting, bringing that back around, that sometimes when you're having the worst day, you can go to a bookstore, and you can just be like cruising along, you're like, that, right there. Yeah. And, and it changes your point of view about something, you know? Yes. And even if you read like a good novel, like, you know, I've been, been reading some books and I love when authors and their characters are so true to life and funny. Like I've had a lot of like laugh out loud on the train moments where I'm like, oh my God, did I laugh out loud? Like, <laughs> but you can't help, you can't help it. But that, that laugh puts you in, puts you in a good mood. And meanwhile, you're laughing about characters that are, don't even really exist. But again, like if you're laughing, you know, that boosts, that boosts your immune system in, in your spirit and your mindset. So Yeah. I think laughing is, is is a good power for healing as well. She's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of that superhero, but that superpower, but I really like it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's when it came to me at first. I was like, I have no idea. Like, what do people say? And then I was like, you know what? Honestly, healing. Yeah. And again, to be able to do it from wherever I am, like I can reach yeah. anybody on the planet. I don't have to know them or see them, but just healing. Yeah. Because you know people are suffering, whether it's from yeah. heartbreak or disease, yeah. So that would be my superpower. Tell us about something that isn't nearly as scary and hopeless as writers fear it is. Whenever I go to conferences, at least one or two people, every, every single conference I experience this when I do pitch sessions. The author comes in, whether they have 90 seconds, five minutes, or 20 minutes. Um, I don't mind if a person wants to read their pitch from a piece of paper. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But I've witnessed people come, they sit down, and they're so nervous that they're, they're shaking. And, it, and it's, it's visible, like to the point where the paper is kind of like flapping. And I'm like, oh my God, no, wait, why? I'm like, why? like, you know, like, okay, do you need medicine? And they're like, no, 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 I'm just a little nervous. And I'm like, oh my gosh, don't, don't be nervous in front of me. Like, I know how intimidating the publishing industry can be, because again, I, I come from a fashion background. So... I'm not MFA. I've never worked at a major publishing company. I'm pretty much self-taught. So when I see someone sit down and they come to pitch me on their book idea and they're shaking, I, I don't have, I don't want to have that intimidating presence. So a lot of times I tell people, you know, like the pitching process, 
you just consider you're bouncing an idea off of a friend. Don't take it so seriously. I've literally been at a conference where I told a woman we had 20 minutes and I made her get up from the chair, walk back out the door. And I told her I want her to spin around three times and then come back in. And she was laughing because she didn't think I was. She was like, are you serious? I said, yes, we have time. Get up, go back <laughs> to the door, go outside, turn around three times and then come back in. So she she got up and did it. But she laughed the whole way. So when she was coming back in, she was already laughing because she was just like, I can't believe you made me go outside and, and, spin around three, and spin around three times. So by the time she sat down, she was still laughing at the fact that I made her do that. And I said, see, yeah, because I'm that type of person. So there's no reason to be nervous in front of me because, you know, next I'm going to have you do 10 jumping jacks until we, until we get these nerves settled in. I said, I don't want you to be intimidated. I'm just here to, to help you move the needle along. So no one is getting a deal at a conference. That hardly ever happens. So take it as an opportunity just to bounce ideas off of a friend who happens to already work in book publishing, you know, I, so I, the pitching I wonder, process. yeah, I wonder as these podcasts, as we move forward with them, if pitching will be easier. So if I listen to this podcast with you, mm-hmm. I already know your energy. I know you're a positive person. There's nothing to be scared of. Yeah. But I think so much from the writer's standpoint, it's in their head. You know, it's, it's such a big thing, but if you know you know, the tone of the person and, and how they represent their own business. Yes. I think that's yeah. half the battle. I think some agents are intimidating. You know, yeah. They and and I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I've, that yeah. I've, I've looked down the row or like in the room and I've seen people who are so like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue serious about themselves. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, listen, come on now. We're, we're, we're in... We're in Seattle, lighten up a little bit. Right. Um, and I don't know, may, you know, maybe that's just a person's personality and their persona and, and how they like to carry themselves. For me, I like to present myself as the friend that just so happens to work in publishing. When, you know, I've been working in publishing for a long time, but when I became a literary agent, friends, family, PR colleagues, journalists, next door neighbors, the guy at the post office, once people knew, everybody was like, oh, don't I have a friend who wants to write a book? Oh, my uncle was like, oh, the next door neighbor's son is coming here for Thanksgiving and he wants to talk to you about a book that he's been working on. Everybody wants to write a book at some point in time on something. So I just want to be considered the friend that happens to have a leg up just because I work in publishing. But there's there's no fear attached to having a conversation with me because I'll talk to anybody. Um, I tell friends all the time, I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll talk to anybody because, again, what I'm going to say just basically helps you to get an understanding. And I consider myself a, a teaching publicist, a teaching agent, where aside from just your individual project, I want to teach you how the industry works beyond your project so that you can be smarter about your approach. So there's no intimidation needed. Like, you know, I'm a friend and I'll, I'll put you on to the, I'll give you the inside scoop. And that's how I look at it. And I want authors when they pitch me to look at it that way. Oh, you know what? Let me run this past door and see what she says. Yeah casual but but the shaking at the conferences i'm like girl you're making me nervous <laughs> gosh now my palms are sweating why are you shaking i would love to see you in action i, I would love to just be a fly on the wall would you people, get hug, up, me at, people hug me at conferences like um i've had people like bring me like cookies and treats and yeah all, all type of stuff and and again i realize it's because there's probably way more people who are serious and scary then there's someone like me that says, get up and do 10 jumping jacks before you pitch me, you know, to, to, to shake the nerves off. So I think people appreciate that. They really, 
And then again, if you're at these conferences and I'm just one of the agents you're pitching, once you leave me, you kind of say, you know, you can breathe again. Because I even say, listen, you know, you might go to somebody who's a lot tougher than me. But again, right now, you're not trying to sell you your book. Just take a lot of notes and, and, and get some intel. And, and you'll do a, a download when you leave this conference, you know, when the weekend is over. But don't be don't be intimidated by anybody here. Try to get as much information from them as possible, especially when you paid your money. Yeah, I can't be intimidated when I pay my money to talk to you. You better be nice to me. <laughs> I'm like, you better be nice to me. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, authors shouldn't be uh, scared of the pitching process. They're too focused on this, the sell that they're not really trying to gather information. And that's that's where the nervousness comes in. You don't want a person to say to reject you. They are going to reject you. But if you get some good information, use it for the next round. Yeah, we're always encouraging people in these meetings to take down notes and things they can take with them because while they're doing that, they're grabbing something that'll be useful for them for a long time. And also, if the agent's interested, they're perfectly capable of asking. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, just... I, I, I hate to see authors nervous. Oh my gosh, that is, that really, yeah, that, that bothers me because I just know that I didn't come from that background, you know, and so being self-taught there's already a level of nervousness that you have because you know people are going to reference books and people that I don't know because while you were learning about those authors I was learning about said designers so no one in the publishing industry knows everything about every author and every book and I look at it and say I come to the table with my lived experience and other people come with their lived experience so even when you're pitching we're just swapping experiences but, but no one is more powerful at the table than anybody else. And, and that's why I want authors to look at it that way. Like you're just getting intel. Thank you so much for talking with us. This has been fabulous. Oh, ladies, I've loved it. I've loved it. <laughs> I, 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 liked, I like talking about stuff like this. I, I like, because again, you know, I, I want to help. I want to help. I, I realize that there's a lot less, there's a lot fewer agents in the country than there are people who want to write books. Share as much as possible so that, Anybody listening or reading something that we've done is smarter in their approach, honestly. Especially for people who have, these are dreams. I've, I've met people like, oh, I've been working on this book for 10 years. 10 years, oh my gosh. And, 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 they st- and they still don't have a deal. But if you're that dedicated, then I really would love to see you be able to say, oh my God, I finally got my book published. If you've committed yeah. 10 years to working on something and you still haven't even landed an agent, you know, I, I want to see that for you. So any way that I'm able to help and share information to move the needle along, like I'm happy to do so. I'm the, I'm the cool literary agent. <laughs> you are cool. That, yeah, that's obvious. I'm the literary agent. Well, Dawn, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're and welcome. To, and to all you listeners, um, what you could do for us at the Manuscript Academy is continue to support us by hitting that subscribe button. That helps with our ratings. And also, speaking of ratings, we'd love you to rate us. We'd love to hear what you think about the Manuscript Academy. And then you can check us out on manuscriptacademy.com.